0: Welcome to Shed, season two. My name is Eric Adams, a longtime vineyarder who, like many on the island, wears a few hats. I'm a painting contractor, a family therapist, and starting last summer, the host of this podcast. Two years ago, after the murder of George Floyd, conversations about race became more common and we tapped into the mood of the moment. And here we are again in February of 2023 after witnessing the recent video of the killing of Tyree Nichols in Memphis at the hands of police. Conversations about race are never easy, but not having them is not an option anymore. The conversations presented in this season all took place during the summer of 2022. I talked with a range of Islanders, both year-round and seasonal, going into the corporate boardroom, on the movie set with a former child actor, and on the beat with a local biracial policeman. We hope by presenting these conversations with regular people talking about their own experiences, we will spark more conversations. We feel this is the first step in shedding our old ways and preconditioned notions. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Patty Favreau. Patty lives in West Tisbury while also commuting to New York City, where she helps manage a pension fund for the Episcopal Church. In this episode, Patty talks about the challenges she faces. As a black woman in the corporate boardroom and raising her two biracial sons on the vineyard. Welcome to Shed, Patty. How you doing? Thanks for joining us.
1: You're very welcome. Happy to be here.
0: What exactly does the Executive Vice President and Chief Communications Officer for the Church Pension Group do?
1: It's a very good question. So (laughs) Hopefully you know. I know. Hopefully I do know. It changes every day, which is one of the reasons I love my job. Hmm. But what we do is we raise money. We invest money that we then use to fund lots of employee benefits for the people who serve the church so Mm -hmm. it's a pension fund it's a benefits organization a health care benefits organization Mm -hmm. it's a publishing house we have property and casualty insurance life insurance we just make sure that the financial needs of the people who serve the episcopal church wherever the episcopal church is Mm -hmm. um are taken care of Mm -hmm. my job is to make sure everybody we serve Understands what they have available to them, mm-hmm. can access those benefits, mm-hmm. and really appreciate them. Wow. So I collect insights from our clients. I tell stories about our work, and I help connect the people that we serve to the benefits we make available to them.
0: Mm-hmm. And how did you arrive there?
1: It's a very long story, okay, actually. We do you have time? We do. So I started out as a lawyer, um, and I thought I wanted to practice law when I was a kid Mm -hmm. because I thought that was the best way to change people's lives. Mm -hmm. When I started practicing law, however, I realized that the practice, at least the corporate practice, was very different than I thought it was going to be, and Mm -hmm. it didn't have the same impact day to day on people's lives. So I started to- Can I ask
0: you why go into the corporate field then? Why not do deal more personally with people through your law practice?
1: Student loans, actually. <laughs> okay. uh, my mm-hmm. mother uh, sacrificed a lot to yeah. send me to college and to law school, and I went into corporate law initially just to be able to pay back my student loans. Got it. But in my corporate law practice, I did get the opportunity to go to court to do the stuff of litigation mm-hmm. that would be part of my private practice, mm-hmm. and I realized it just wasn't that fun. It was more procedural than it was about changing people's lives. Okay. So I segued over to financial services, in large part because my father um, became ill. My father became ill and was passing away. Mm -hmm. And literally on his deathbed, uh, he had cancer everywhere. He was deprived of most of his dignity. He looked up to me and my brother and said, at home, I have a life insurance policy. And the man who died pretty destitute, was so proud that he could give my brother and me a little bit of something, mm-hmm. a little bit of legacy sure. to carry our lives forward. It helped me realize that financial products actually changed mm. people's lives. Okay. So I leaned into financial services, started in the private sector, realized that even though the work that we did in the private sector, I worked at a private life insurance company for a number of years, mm-hmm was powerful, that the corporate setting was not to my liking. Why? Um, because it was incredibly masculine. It was incredibly white.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I worked for this company for a number of years. I was the first executive officer, female of color,
2: mm-hmm.
1: late in early 2000s or late in the 1990s, and it felt very late to be a 1st Um, I heard things that I couldn't repeat at home. Mm. I wasn't comfortable introducing people to my family. It just wasn't a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. So I segued over to not-for-profit financial services. So I get to change people's lives Mm -hmm. by helping connect them to important financial products. Um, in the progressive context of the Episcopal Church, which mm-hmm. does wonderful work mm-hmm. for people around the co- around the country,
0: is there diversity within the officers of the group you're with now?
1: There's a tremendous amount of mm-hmm. diversity. Uh, I sit on the ele- executive leadership team mm-hmm. of the Church Pension Group. Uh, we are led by a woman. There are many women who are on the executive leadership team. I am the only person of color on the E.L.T. We call it. Mm-hmm. However the person in charge of customer service in our $18 billion organization is an Afro-Caribbean woman. Okay. The number two person in IT is a black woman. One of the managing directors in investments is a black woman. The number two person in corporate finance is a Latina woman. Mm-hmm. And so we're really proud of the diversity that we have. And I really enjoy walking around and seeing people from all different backgrounds mm. when we do our work, because you never know when a different and right perspective is going to help you make a better decision. Mm-hmm. And I find at Church Pension Group that different people from all walks of life help us make better decisions mm-hmm. for the church.
0: You think that's true across the board in business, that most businesses would benefit from a diverse uh, workforce and, and diverse leadership?
1: I think it's true almost universally Mm -hmm. that diversity combined with an emphasis on inclusion, it's not enough to just look different. You have to be able to activate those voices. Mm -hmm. So diversity plus asking people who are diverse what they think and to contribute and creating the safe space to do that almost always leads to better decision making. Hmm.
0: Patty, I'm assuming that despite having some diversity, that often in your career, you have been um, one of the few people, uh, diverse people in the rooms, that there's not a lot of diversity in the spaces you're moving in. Is that true, first of all? And if so, does that come with any unique pressures?
1: So my whole life since I started going to school, has been me being one of a few in the room. Mm-hmm. I even don't. back to grade school? Even back to grade school. Mm. In my family, I wasn't one of few in the room, but anytime I left my family and went to school, we started going to private school when I was very young. We mm-hmm. went to camp when mm-hmm. I was very young. Uh, I am used to being one of a few. Mm-hmm. So yes, it is a reality to this day. It's a reality that I wish were not the case. Uh, but I am often, one of a a few is a good position to be in. I am often still the only one, Mm -hmm. which is uh, a less desirable position to be in. It's been challenging to get used to as a younger person, but I've learned how to enter a room and be seen, to be proud of the fact that I am seen, to not hide who I am, but to be more fully present in who I am, to serve as a bridge Uh, a lot of times in my work, I am the only person of color that the person I'm talking to interacts with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I am aware for them that I am representing what it means to be an African-American mom in a business setting, and I want to represent that truthfully. Mm -hmm. So I've learned that the best way to connect to people, even when they are different than I am, is to be 100% who I am, Mm -hmm. to show them all of me so that we can build trust and a sense of authenticity between one another, and so that's how I live my work life, Mm -hmm. and that's actually how I live my social life. I would say, here in Martha's Vineyard, I am also often one of one or one of a few in board situations and in social situations, Mm -hmm. and I find that almost a little more baffling and troubling to me than in the work setting. Because here on the island, everyone believes that everything is so perfect, and that it's this wonderful, diverse melting pot. And people will claim that they do not see race, or they will claim that if they see it, it doesn't make a difference in how they categorize and sort people. But then I don't understand how I walk into a party, and I'm the only person of color Mm -hmm. in 2020 which was the last time we went to parties, Mm -hmm. uh, in the room. I always just find it strange on an island that has so much diversity that the friendships are not diverse.
0: Hmm. I, too, struggle, particularly in the off-season, with what seems like uh, only a few of us around.
1: That's true. I I share that. I'll say, actually, COVID has brought this wonderful blessing of this walking group. Hmm. Every Sunday, I walk with a group of black women, we call ourselves the Good Souls. Wow! And I went from having one other black female friend year-round on this island to having 20, 30. Wow. And apparently, we've always been here. Hmm. And But it's hard to see each other because we live in different towns. Yeah. There's not a big active nightlife yeah. on the vineyard off-season. And so we realized we were all looking for each other, not seeing each other, Mm. but during COVID, we've made this commitment to walking together. Mm. And I guess the feeling of that, the feeling of being with these women who have walked in similar shoes, wherever they have walked in their lives, reminds me of how little I've had that Mm. in the 11 years I've lived here.
0: Mm. What do you think you've missed out on?
1: I missed out on shared knowing, I missed out on being able to share the burden I carry around, the concern for my brown boys mm-hmm. with other people who get it. I've missed being able to just share an experience and not be questioned about it or challenged about it. Hmm. I don't have to convince these women that my life is hard, harder because I am a person of color because they've been there and they've done that. Mm-hmm. Walking and sharing with these women every Saturday or Sunday has reminded me of the lack of shared perspective, uh, shared burden carrying that I've experienced the past 10 years before I met these women. Mm -hmm. As an example, I have a son who's at the high school and he is active in theater and he's a minnesinger, and the high school does a wonderful job of creating diverse opportunities for kids who sing and who act to be on the stage. And yet, I kept opening our local newspapers and seeing all white cast, hmm. when I knew the cast was not all white. So two years ago, when my son was the lead in It's a Wonderful Life, he played the lead role, the pictures that ran in the paper were an all white cast. Interesting. I was hurt by that as his mom, but I also knew how hard the school had worked was to he have hurt a diverse. He was also. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also, but I knew how hard the school had worked yep. to have a diverse cast, and yep. I was disappointed. And I raised it with the paper, and they've been really responsive. This year, this high school put on Les Miserables, which is my favorite play of all time, and my brown son also was one of the lead characters. There were five leads of color Mm -hmm. in the play. When I got the paper, it was only white cast members who were Mm -hmm. featured again. When I see things like that, I know it's not intentional, but we live on an island that curates an image of itself as being about the Kennedys, Mm -hmm. as being about the white people who play here. Mm -hmm. That made me feel invisible it made my family feel invisible and I had these 40 women to share that pain with and they helped talk me through what to do and how to express that and got me through what was a bit of a punch in the gut.
0: Mm. Have you recovered?
1: Yes I've recovered because the work of my life is moving forward always and I've Talk to these group of women, the good souls, and they gave me confidence actually to talk to another white group of women hmm. who I'm friends with on the island and just share with them that we're here too. This island actually is quite diverse. The high school is beautifully, wonderfully diverse. It, is, it really is. And if the island wants to communicate that diversity, wants to celebrate it, our news outlets have to do a better job of capturing the diversity that exists. We're not talking about creating fake opportunities of kumbaya, but at the high school, you can see on the stage Mm -hmm. people of African descent, white kids, people of Brazilian descent, Asian kids, and it would just be wonderful if our news outlets did a better job of capturing that. People need to see, as Viola Davis just recently said so wonderfully, people need to see their dreams on stage. Mm. And the young brown kid who wants to sing and star in a performance at the PAC could have an example in my kid and another kid, Samuel, and another girl, Gracie, and another girl, Gabby, and Annabelle. There's so many examples of kids of color doing wonderful things on the stage at the high school. And it's devastating to think that some kids' dreams might be capped because they think it's not possible, Hmm. because they don't see examples of kids who look like them doing wonderful things at the high school. I think that could have a devastating impact on our community or at least stop us from reaching our full potential, Hmm. which just makes me sad.
0: That's a great point, Patty. And I think if you um, expand on that, you know, this idea we're really in this struggle about looking backwards to acknowledge the importance that black people, indigenous people, women have had in the development of this country and all the wonderful things about the country. And there's a lot of resistance to to taking a closer look at that past. Is that part of the same thing? We're not wanting to really look at diversity where diversity is and appreciate it, understand it?
1: I don't know if it's part of the same thing. I think there's this interesting thing that happens when you look at the past and people feel guilty about it. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about regret lately and the, the role it plays in people's lives. And rather than regret, I try to look at the past as lessons. People did what they knew how to do back in the day. Mm -hmm. And today is about learning from that and doing better in the future. I think people resist looking at the past because there's so much guilt associated with it. I think people don't see the diversity in the present because they're just blind. Mm. It is benign neglect. I don't know how else to explain it. I think people don't, see the diversity in the present, because for some reason here, people think that identity is divisive. Claiming your space as an indigenous person, as a Brazilian person, as a black person feels to some people as separating yourself from the community, as opposed to being yourself within the context of a community. Mm -hmm. So I think people try to look for sameness, not difference mm-hmm. so they want to create an image of sameness which to too many people unfortunately is white
0: mm-hmm. Patty could it be helpful though for us as a country as a people to have a better understanding of how we got to where we are and if we're talking about race you know to really look closely at the the laws and the codes the legal decisions the um, all the different events the history that led us to where we are to have a better understanding maybe how to move forward.
1: Yeah, Well, I have to say yes, of course, Mm -hmm. it would be better to have a historical perspective, Mm -hmm. in part because I live with a person whose job it is (laughs) to create that historical perspective. My husband, Mark Favreau, just published a book Mm -hmm. called Unequal, and that's exactly the purpose of the book. The book is written for young adults, teens, and their parents, and it's designed to help people understand that the inequality that exists today isn't organic Mm -hmm. it was created Created. by intentional act uh, that people have been fighting against it for 150 years if not more Mm -hmm. and people have been doubling down and reinforcing it for 150 years if not more so when the horribly horrible murders of too many people became well so well publicized Mm -hmm. over the past few years mark wanted to help our kids understand that this didn't just start yesterday this started decades ago that the racism that you think you see the inequality that you think you feel is real there's a lot of gaslighting that happens Mm -hmm. uh, with people of color that you are made to feel like you are being paranoid but looking at history helps people understand that there, is, there were structures in place that created the realities of today. And there are people who have fought against them and who have been successful at affecting change. So looking in the past, you know that the present is changeable because the past was created and that people's future, people have power mm-hmm. to influence their future.
0: Mm-hmm. We've seen video of a lot of young men Uh, Killed, unarmed men killed by police over the last, well number of years now. And this is something with a long history as well. Are you worried as the mother of two biracial boys? Are you worried about your
1: boys? I am not worried about my boys being targeted by the police because we've spent the better part of our lives helping prepare them for that. Mm Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it will not happen. It means that we've had so much family therapy around it Mm -hmm. that I feel like they are pretty prepared in the event that it does happen. Okay, I'm more worried about the insults that they absorb every day, that they are not worthy for the great things that happen to them. And where does that come from? I think it comes from this sense of entitlement, um, this sense of scarcity. You could look at opportunity as abundant or scarce. And both of my sons, when they were applying to college, confronted people's doubt that they earned their spots. Mm. Both of them heard from friends that it must be really easy to be diverse because it was easier for you to get into college. And that sends this little signal to people of color that they are not worthy. Mm -hmm. Also implicit in that statement is that was my spot and Mm -hmm. you took it. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense of entitlement that gets communicated and a sense of lack of worth that gets communicated to my kids and I'm more worried about the emotional toll that will take on them. Have they talked about that at all? We talk about it a lot uh, at home, both when my kids were applying to college um, and after my son, had. now that he has been in college. Mm-hmm. There are lots of signals out there that will try to convince you that you are not worthy, that you are an imposter. And we are fortunate that we have raised our kids to know otherwise, but it's hard when it keeps happening, especially when it happens from people who know you well. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, it cuts the deepest. Yeah. I, so I would say I am less worried about their physical safety mm-hmm. and I am will be forever worried about their mental well-being. Hmm.
0: Do you think that there are unique challenges that biracial and multiracial kids face, uh, particularly when we're talking about our community and our high school, that might really be unique to them?
1: That's a hard question for me to answer because we've taken a pretty clear view, which some people might disagree with. When my kids were very, very young, uh, I brought them into the kitchen and I had a glass of milk and I put a tablespoon of chocolate into the milk and I asked them what I made. And they told me I made chocolate milk, even though it was the faintest shade of brown. And then I put another tablespoon in the milk and they watched it get darker. And I said, what do I have? And they said, chocolate milk and then I did it a third time, and I said, what do I have? And they said, chocolate milk. And the the lesson I was trying to teach my my kids is that they are biracial, but as a family, we've chosen that they will identify black Mm -hmm. and African-American because I am part of their mix. And for us, that made them kids of African-American descent. So our children are biracial, one is very light, and one is darker, but they have always identified Mm African-American. The challenge for my lighter skinned child has been, he has to tell people that he is black. Mm. And oftentimes he has to tell people in the context of them saying things he wish he hadn't heard. Wow. So that has been his challenge. He's also been invited to pass in ways that communicated to him as a very at a very young age that being white was right mm-hmm. and that there was something wrong with being black. That he was being invited to disassociate from his browner brother and his darker mom. Mm-hmm. He got the offense of that at a very young age. Mm-hmm. So that was hard for him. My younger son struggles with wanting to identify with the African-American community here but people know that he is biracial. And so sometimes his opinions are discounted Hmm. because he has a white father. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But in our home, in our life, in our experience with him, we've taught him to be outspoken nonetheless, Mm -hmm. and he does that. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think they would say it has been a burden to be biracial. I think they would say that being biracial has allowed them to bridge and to trust black people and white people, which mm-hmm. has helped them really thrive in the past few years. So
0: from burden to blessing, maybe. Correct. At some point.
1: Correct. It's also helped our families. I, I want to share as a tribute to my mom the miracle of her life. My mother was beat mercilessly when schools were desegregated in, the ni- in Washington, D.C. in the 1950s. My mother has no reason to trust White people, none. She's been beaten. She has been the victim of discrimination in untold ways. But when I said I was in love with Mark, she embraced him with full arms. Mm -hmm. And my mother has learned to trust people who look like people who hurt her Mm -hmm. when she was in her teens. I raise stories of my mom because when I hear white friends of mine excuse the comments of their parents or their grandparents because things were different back then, I have as an example in her a person who saw racism, who saw racial violence, and yet overcame it in the present. And I ask them, if my mom can be open to people who don't look like her, why can't your parents do the same?
0: Do you think there's strength that comes through the struggle of being black in America?
1: I think there's strength that comes from the struggle of being different in America, including being black in America. The ability to endure lots of painful moments on the street and put on a mask and be fantastic and powerful at work That's a strength that very few people will ever know. It's a strength that I have and I'm glad I have. So yes, there is strength in being black in America and having to overcome and endure and smile when it's hard to do so. I also have learned to deal with lots of different types of people because Mm -hmm. I've had to. Mm -hmm. Some of my white colleagues can't say that. So there's strength and power. growing up black in America because the reality has required me to learn how to be nimble in different social situations Mm. and I wouldn't trade that for anything
0: Wow Patty that was great thank you so much for being here today and thank you for delivering that message and for those of you at home thanks again for joining us on another episode of Shed Shed has been brought to you by the Vineyard Gazette It is produced by Eric Adams, Bill Evel, Chris Fisher, Amy Schumer, and Jack Ebbe, with audio production by Anthony Esposito and Dana Edelman.